we started the series in January, beginning of January, and I'm just calling it When I Grow Up, because Jan keeps asking me that. When? Oh, when, oh God. But uh, no, I, I just know, personally, there's still areas to grow. I've, I've been a believer in uh, this year, it'll be 40 years that I've been a believer. And uh, I, I know there's still things I need to understand, still things I can grasp, still things I can expand into. I spent the last two nights down at uh, Healing Rooms, we did. Dr. Carolyn Relief was down there. Some of you are familiar with her ministry. And, and she talks about how our brain's been wired. And our bodies maybe have been wired for 120 years, but she said, really, the capacity of your brain, the, the amount of information that could be in your brain, really could be another million years that your brain could still handle new thoughts, new things, new increase, and that just blows me away, that there's more in God, and there's more that we could grow in God as, as we just stay in relationship with Him, amen? So let's talk about a couple of these things in, in growing up. I just uh, want to do a little survey. This is thoughts on growing up from Pinterest. Is that okay? This is the Lion King. Oh yes, the past can hurt, but you can either run from it or you can learn from it, the Lion King. Next one. Maturity is when your world opens up and you realize that you're not the center of it. Anybody ever experienced that? Little kids, part of maturity is just growing to believe that I, it doesn't all revolve around me. I like this. Immature, a word used by boring people to describe fun people. <laughs> Here. Sometimes you have to shut up, swallow your pride, and accept that you're wrong. It's not giving up. It's growing up. Ouch. And, and that is part of growing up, is it not? That sometimes when there's conflict, sometimes there, our ability just to say we're sorry and admit we're wrong, man, that's, that's a part of maturity. The, the true mark of maturity is when somebody hurts you and you try to understand their situation and trying to hurt them back. And so I, I've found that to be true. Jesus is called the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And even when there's conflict, we often say hurt people, hurt people. And so when, when things are going on, we try and understand where they're coming from rather than just trying to lash out and, and hurt them back. I like this. Your maturity level has earned you a happy meal. Congratulations. <laughs> and, and, and that's for some of us that whine and fuss and never mind. Uh, an immature relationship, okay, I hope you're okay with me saying this in church, but hopefully you get the point. An immature relationship starts with I love you and ends with screw you. A mature one starts with I love you and ends with thank you. And, and, and it's the idea that you've probably seen it and I've seen it that uh, it all starts with love and acceptance and kindness, but when things begin to erode and deteriorate and, and anger comes in and then hatred comes in, sometimes it's that ending like, you know, screw you rather than the idea that I've learned through this, I've grown through this, and you've, you've been a, a valuable piece of me learning and, and going to another level, and so instead of being angry about things parting ways, we can sometimes just take a different mindset and be appreciative for, for what we gleaned in it. You all right with that? I like this. The best apology is change behavior, and uh, so instead of always apologizing, come on, let's grow up. Let's change. Let's do something different. Amen? Uh, Immature people always want to win an argument, even at cost of relationship. Mature people understand that it's always better to lose an argument and to keep or maintain the relationship. And I've watched that, the fight over who's going to win in marriage conflict, who's going to win. Well, really, a win is that we can keep building and working together. A win is not being, me just being right all the time. No, a win is this, that we can maintain and grow through the relationship and we can keep building together. So we shoot for that. And then this is Batterson. To me, growing into spiritual maturity is becoming less self-conscious and more God-conscious. 
And so that's the part of growth I want to talk about this morning, is becoming more God-conscious, and and it's through a couple terms that we're going to focus on today. This is the writer of Hebrews, and he describes this process of growing up. He says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness." And so that idea that, you know, when we're starting to grow up, that this idea of the, the, the word of righteousness, that, you know, babies, we're not used to it. So what does it mean, the word of righteousness? First of all, the gospel says that we've been made right in God's eyes because of what Jesus did. Amen? It's not me. His scripture says in, that he became sin for us, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So understanding the word of righteousness and growing in it, first of all, is I've been made righteous through Jesus. It's not my self-effort. I can't give enough, be good enough, earn it. It's a gift from God, amen? But the other thing, this thing about milk and meat, is when you understand you've been made righteous and you're in right standing with him, then the other side is how do I walk this out? Now, how do I walk in righteousness? How do I let righteousness work in me so it's displayed outwardly? And the word righteous means right thinking, but it's just right acting. It's doing the right thing according to God's ways and not the world's ways. Righteousness is understanding from his word, from his heart. Really, to me, righteousness is getting the heart of God and beginning to walk out the heart of God and and his intentions. That's why Jesus was with the scribes and Pharisees. They were trying to be legalistic. And he'd say, no, you know, murder is not just stabbing somebody. Murder is when you call somebody a names, and, and he goes to the heart of things. So when you call your brother a fool, he said, it's, it's, it's like murder. He said, lust, you know, adultery is not just simply, uh, you know, in an illicit sexual relationship with somebody. No, adultery is really an attitude of the heart. It's, it's having a lustful heart. He was always after the heart. So you and me born again in the kingdom, understand I've been made righteous by him, but to grow up and to understand the word of righteousness to mature in that way is is really the meat. It's to walk it out. The milk is understanding it. The meat is to do it. Say do it. Solid food is the mature who because of what? Because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Say the word practice. We're going to look at it for a few minutes. For ministers... We're discussing the pros and cons of various Bible translations and paraphrases. Eventually, each stated which version, in his opinion, was the best. The first minister said he used the King James because the Old English style is beautiful and produces the most reverent picture of the Holy Scriptures. The second said he preferred the New American Standard because he felt it comes nearer to the original Greek and Hebrew texts. The third minister said his favorite was the paraphrase New Living Translation because his congregation was young and, and it related to them in a practical way. All three men waited while the fourth minister sat silently. Finally, he said, I guess when it comes to translations and paraphrased editions of the Bible, I like my dad's translation best. He put the word of God into practice every day. It was the most convincing translation I've ever seen. And so that's the part of maturing and growing up and being doers and practicing the word of God. Amen? Say practice. Practice. It means to do something again and again in order to come, become better at it. It means to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. So the truth is, everybody in here, you're, 
you're, you're practicing something. And according to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, the, even the thoughts that we take hold of, and when they're negative thoughts that turn into negative action, she says they begin, they build structures in our own brain. They're physical structures that they can see and they, they take note of. And the interesting things, how the ganglions and all the, the nerve endings, the dendrites come together, the, the structures they form when they're good thoughts and they're leaning to good actions, they look like trees, fruitful trees. The negative ones look like all these crushed bushes or brush. And, and that's on the, the, the hate side. That's on the negative side. But on the love side, when, when our hearts form and our minds form and our thoughts form around those things, it produces healthy things even in our brain. So you're practicing something now. And uh, to grow and to mature means we need to practice new stuff. Amen? New way of seeing things. Speaking of practice, this picture was from a couple days ago, and that's Venus and Serena Williams. And, uh, uh, and Serena just beat her sister in the Australian Open Grand Slam final. And now, between them, they've won 30 Grand Slams. Serena's got 23, world record, nobody's ever done it before. But when you think about their beginning, they were raised in Compton. And their father, Richard, had a friend who played tennis that was pretty good at it. And, and Richard began to watch and listen and glean and learn. And when uh, I think it was Venus was four, Serena was three, he bought him tennis rackets and they began to practice and practice and practice and practice. Sometimes they said two hours a day as young kids, but they kept practicing. When, uh, when Venus was just graduating from high school uh, and she was already growing in tennis skills and junior champion and all this, she signed a million-dollar shoe deal just getting out of high school. Not bad. Pay it off. Practice, practice, practice. And now, 30 Grand Slam tennis titles, their net worth is almost of a quarter of a billion dollars. It, it, it pays to practice. Two girls from Compton. Practice. Two girls from just, you know, maybe he recognized their athletic skill at a young age. Dad got a hold of that and wrote a plan along with a friend and said, this is how we can take them from here to there. But it's going to require practice. And some of us don't like practice. I remember taking guitar lessons and the lessons were fun, but the practice over and over, especially when you're making mistakes, I gave up. And my kids all are musical and not their dad. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and, and a lot of it had to do with just practice, not the willing not to practice. So practice has a lot to do with what you're aiming for. And in our culture, in our culture, when we think about, and even a couple of weeks ago, I said, pick one word and start asking the Lord to form in that, how maybe this attribute we can grow in or get better at. Well, in our culture, often we're aiming at all kinds of stuff. And so I got a little illustration I want you to see. And uh, this morning, and I've asked Joseph Logan to help me out. Now, you guys know Joseph. He's been a son in this house for many years. He grew up around this house. And uh, two years ago, he took up archery. And our, our friends, the, the Wilsons, run Central Coast Archery. And uh, I remember going down there with him right after he got started. And I was watching him practice. And I said, Scott, he's pretty good. How was it when he started? No offense, Joseph, but he said arrows were flying. And... Uh, and, and then because of practice, Joseph's developed th this skill, and I'm going to ask him to, to help me here. And um, th this idea of hitting the mark. You, 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 know what, you know what? Sin, sin, the word sin literally means missing the mark. And so when we sin, it means God's got a plan, God's got a purpose, 
or God's got a law, or God's got a, a, a rule that he wants us to hold on to for our purposes, and because God is God, and he gets to make the rules, right? And, and when we miss that, it's called sin. It's missing the mark. And so I, I want Joseph to shoot a couple arrows, and, and uh, I want to just talk to you about this idea of missing the mark as he does this, and I'm just going to back up over here. <laughs> so what they would say, I would say, sin, 13 inches, 10 o'clock. Sin, 16 inches, 2 o'clock. Sin, 10 inches, 8 o'clock. Sin, what's that? 10 inches, 4 o'clock? Bullseye. Killed it. Good job, Joseph. Now, now we were doing, we were playing with this yesterday, and you can tell he intentionally went around the main one till the very end to, to let us see, you know, wh what does it mean to miss the mark? And when you miss the mark, it's sin. And so a lot of us grow up and we think missing the mark's no big deal. You know, it's just a little white lie. It's just, it's just the little things, and I didn't miss it by very much. And, you know, hey, to be eight inches off the target or so, that, that's not a big deal, but but that's not why Jesus died, just so we could continue missing the mark. And, and a false understanding of grace is that, well, he, he just covers us. It, it doesn't really matter if we do. Now, somebody come up here. Who, who can I get to come up? Come here, Mauricio. Mauricio, try and just take these arrows out for me. Can you do that? So, so yeah, when, when, when you miss the mark... Yeah, there you go. Come on, come on, take them out. They're saying twist and pull. The, the thought is, when you miss the mark, and, and, and don't break the arrow. There you go. I, I really was going to just topple this whole thing over on you. Go ahead. Let's see that. No, I'm just kidding. Because when you miss the mark and you got to get those old things out of your life, it's not easy. It's not easy. So when you're missing the target, thanks, bro. You want to give those to, to, to Joseph. When, when you miss the mark, it's not easy to undo that. And, and that's not why Jesus came. Grace isn't just, oh, everything, I'm just going to, you know, randomly take shots and it doesn't really matter if I hit the target. No, when we're talking about growing up and growing in righteousness and growing and knowing God, it, it's aiming for something. It's, it's aiming when, you know, it's a high standard and when, when Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, I remember reading that in the Gospel of John as a young guy and thinking, I can't even do this. How, how can I stay a believer if this is the benchmark? How can I ever walk like that? Well, you forget that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And, and you and me can forget that the helper's with us. And, and, and he's helping to define a target so we grow forward in a direction. Are you with me this morning? So, so let's talk about this a little bit. Two things I want to hit on. Practicing to be led by the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Practicing to be led by the Holy Spirit. And then just quickly on practicing righteousness. You and me will never progress in our growth outside of the help of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, Jesus never intended us to get saved just to follow principles without the principle maker, principle keeper, the principle worker on the inside of us. That's why he told his guys, when he was raised from the dead, go wait in Jerusalem till the power of God comes on you. Because his faith is in his Holy Spirit working in us. 
He didn't save me and put his faith in this pot-smoking beach bum from Southern Cal. He, he put his faith in the Holy Spirit in me when he saved me. That the Holy Spirit working in me was going to be able to take me and grow me and, and, and work in me. So we're trophies of grace because of his Holy Spirit and his presence in us. But this is what one author said concerning our, our attitude about the Holy Spirit. He said, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, to recognize her presence, and celebrate the relationship together. And so Jill started in talking about, oh, good papa. She starts talking about the attributes of the Holy Spirit that he wants you and me to cultivate. And it's not a Sunday morning three-song goosebump deal. It, 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 it's, it's living in relationship with him and allowing him and asking him to fill us and to help us and to change us and to work through us. Amen? Now, listen to his names. His names are comforter and helper. In other words, he comes to our assistance. His names are convictor and counselor. He's the one who can provoke change, real change in us. And, and we limit him sometimes just as the problem solver. Let's look at these passages together. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. Spiritually, it's going to cost you. Your life shrinks. And eventually, if you just live in the flesh without Christ, there's eternal death. But if by the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. Read the yellow with me. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And that word sons is the mature sons of God. We've learned, we've practiced hearing his voice. We practice being sensitive to what he's telling us. We practice trying to be obedient to what he's leading us to. And by that, we're called mature sons of God. Now, this aspect of the Holy Spirit as our comforter and our helper, as our convictor and counselor, is to bring us out of the old. And some people stop there in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. They stop. They're just looking to him. Help me. Help me. Get me out of this. Forgive me of that. Cleanse me of that. But there's another side to walking with the Holy Spirit where he brings you into things. Because he's the spirit of wisdom. He's the creator that was there with the Father in the very beginning. He was the one that gives insight and understanding. He's the spirit of counsel. He's also the spirit of might. He can take the wuss-wuss out of you and give you a, a spiritual background and power so, so you're just not always, you know, cowering in, in the, when complications from life come. Aren't you glad for that, that the spirit of might's available? I love this. We were, and this is the side of the scripture that backs that up. So here we, we read to 14, and this is the different attribute of the Holy Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're now children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we endure with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. It says now we've got this spirit of adoption. So he's just not rescuing us in the constant rescue mission for us. He's bringing us into fullness. He's bringing us into something new and something different. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? You know what? This, this idea of wisdom, I was, uh, I was at the Barnabas group. It's a, it's a group of Christian businessmen and women, and it's just forming in our area. They invited me to the first one, and, 
And so what it is, it's, there's a hundred and some leaders at the country club in San Luis, and we had dinner together and heard some speakers, but there's different groups of people from different ministers that are bringing their problems before this think tank. It's kind of like a combination of Shark Tank and Full Gospel Business Meeting or something, but they bring their problems before this group of problem-solving men and women, and they present their ministries, and then the table, you help them with solutions to how to get their their ministry on another track. And so one of the guys that was sitting at my table, uh, I was introduced to him, and he's really uh, like just something about his character, man. He just seemed like he had integrity and just a real strong uh, spirit. And the guy next to me says, you know what he invented? I said, what? I said, baby carrots. You you know those little baby carrots that you, you, he's the one that came up with the idea. And he's got, he's doing it in Bakersfield and he's got a ranch. I think it's in Michigan. And he cranks out baby carrots and he's turned it over now. And he's got a foundation that's putting millions of dollars into the gospel. And the wisdom that comes from God, the Holy Spirit that wants to take us out of the old and give us insight for the new, that's the wisdom of God that's available for you and me. Amen? And, and so one of the other ministries that was presented is the Mighty Oaks Warriors. And some of us had them come to our men's camp a, a couple years ago. And uh, they shared and presented their plan and how they're rescuing these guys, these veterans, and also some guys in active service that are struggling with PTSD and, and how they're working with them. And it's just, a, it's just an awesome, inspiring model. But one thing they said that really stuck with me again is this, that you got to reject passivity and lead courageously. And, and so what they're telling guys that are coming back broken, and the guys are tripping out over their past and the wounds and the hurts, all real stuff, much more real than anything I could ever imagine that I've experienced. But the reality of it, he says, what happens, they shrink, they turn inwardly. Addiction does the same thing. It turns you inwardly, and then it's, your life kind of result, revolves around just the problem and the issue. And that's the same thing with shame. It makes us self-focused. But the Holy Spirit blasts you out of that. It turns us towards God-focused, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so this idea that you got to reject passivity, come on, man, we just can't lay there and just continue in our stuff. we got to intentionally reject passivity if we're going to grow up. If we're going to change, we just can't be passive about things. There's this thing about just rising up in the courage of God and saying, okay, soul, come on, you're not going to stay there. God's got more for you. You got to go after it. Amen? And so that's the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of might as well as counsel. He helps us break through it and and go forward. Another thing that I've been trying to practice more is, especially in my thought life, is thinking, is this a friend or is this a foe? Because scripture tells us to cast down imaginations and to cast down thoughts that exalt itself against the knowledge of who God is. Carolyn Leaf said that's the most important thing for believers because when thoughts come in, they're, they're, they, they don't really take root right away. But if they're reinforced, he said they take up real estate in your brain. They take on form. They take on structure. They actually take on substance. Thoughts in our brain take on substance. And so the ability to say friend or foe, when thoughts come my way, is important. To be able to filter those things out before they take root and they start producing all the kinds of stuff in my life that, that I don't want to be there. I got to root them out, amen? Tell your neighbor that. We got to take some thoughts captive and not passively, and not passively. Friend or foe, just this thought about wisdom. 
This is Solomon's wisdom. And this is what I love. The, the attribute that the Holy Spirit can deliver you out and bring you in. Th- this story that's in Second uh, Chronicles, it's, uh, David dies and gives the kingdom to his son. And now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. Verse 7 says this, On that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? He just tells Solomon, ask. Just go ahead and ask me. And Solomon said to God, You've shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Verse 10, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? You've read this before. You've heard it in Bible school, that in Bible up. This story about God says, hey, Solomon, what do you need? And Solomon said, this thing about leading your people, God, is overwhelming. I want to do a good job at it. I want to grow in my leadership. So God, I'm going to ask you for wisdom. And I love this because it ties in what James says. If anyone, anyone, doesn't even say believers in James, said if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it freely and liberally. And so when we bring problems before God and, and you know, you just quiet and you start journaling, okay, what, what are you saying about this, God? What's the solution to this? He promised that he'd give us wisdom. And because Solomon asked for this, now this is how what God poured out. So Solomon asked for wisdom and look what God pours out because he asked for wisdom, which to me is the practice of righteousness. How, how do I do things your way? How do I do things right? How can I practice righteousness he asked God for that, and then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, have you not asked for wealth or riches or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life for yourself, but you've asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I made you king. Read the yellow with me. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I'll give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings in it who have ever before you have experienced, nor shall any after you. That just shows me the heart of God. Like when you say, God, I want to practice righteousness. I want to do things your way, Lord, and and I want your help, and I need your wisdom to do it. And I need your might to do it. And I need your strength to do it. And so, Lord, I want to do things the right way. And because of that, Lord, I, I, I just ask for a supply. And we can see by this, God just didn't give him the wisdom. He gave everything else around it that came to him. I'm convinced that the church is called to solve the problems in our community. How about you? I'm convinced of that. I I was Thursday morning at Family Care Network, and we did a summit on helping to solve the the foster care. We don't call them foster care anymore. It's resource family needs in the community. And so 30 people got together, some pastors, some other leaders, and we were in a big group and discussed the need, and then we split up into two brainstorming groups, and we're trying to come up with a plan on how we can recruit. We need at least 25 families right now, but for every family that's qualified, it takes dozens to be vetted through, and that'll go through the whole process. But in that room, there was just such a corporate wisdom and a, and a corporate plan that came together. It was just exciting to see. We asked, we started the meeting with prayer, asking God to help us. And when the brainstorm started, just the wisdom that was flowing from the room, our Father wants us to experience that. And in relationship with the Holy Spirit, we can have that for solving family needs and business needs. And, and, but it's cultivating a relationship with the dove. Amen? Sorry, you're kind of quiet in here. Are you all right? 
Let's talk about the, the next aspect of this, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. This is the idea of practicing righteousness. And I think when I just would hear that term, practicing righteousness, it always sounded so religious to me. I would just discount myself. I would just, dis- how could I ever practice righteousness? I mean, I have trouble just getting through like a couple of hours as a, as a new believer. My mouth would go sideways. My thought life was wacky. I mean, when I would think about practicing righteousness, no way. But it's the Holy Spirit. He's in us, amen? The King is among us. And so this idea, this big idea of Christian life is called Coram Deo. Anybody ever come up to you when you were little and say, what's the big idea? I still remember when I think I was five years old, my twin brother and I, we were going to paint my dad's workbench in, in, in the garage. And so we saw this glass jar that had milky white stuff in it. And it turned out it was turpentine with the, that he cleaned the brush out, but it was white. So we painted his whole, white, his, his whole workbench with turpentine. And it could have probably lit the garage on fire because it was like, a, you could smell it. And I remember my, my grandmother was living with us. Or I think it was my mom that came in and said, what's the big idea? What, what are you guys thinking? Well, you know what the big idea around Christianity is? It's, it's this idea of Coram Deo. Coram Deo. And I'll, I'll give you the interpretation, the exact interpretation and the thoughts around it. It, it captures the essence of Christian life. It means this, living my life before the sight of God. It means living my life in the full view of God, fully open, not compartmentalized, not hiding little stuff, but but it means living my life in the full view of God, that he can see it all, and that we talk about it all, and we have conversation about it all, and and that that he's discussing things that he wants changed, and and in relationship with him is because I have the spirit of Abba, Father, but but it means fully living your life in full view of God. That's how Job was living his life when he got attacked. The the Satan came and said, this guy Job, like he's fully righteous. He's living his life in full view of you, and what's going to happen if certain things start getting lost in his life. But that, that Coram Deo is the concept in full view of God. And when I think about practicing righteousness, that, that's what I think about. Like my full life, God, that just, is it possible that you can help me grow to another level Then it doesn't matter if I'm downtown pumping gas or, or it doesn't matter if you know, I'm on a walk on the beach or wherever it is or even in conflict and things going on, it doesn't matter what's happened around me, but I'm living with a consciousness that I'm, my life's in full view of you and that I learned to practice that. that I learned to practice trying to stay connected with you, Lord. So I'm asking you, God, is this okay? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is, is, is this practice gonna help me get to where you want us to be? Because the wildest thought is to me, and Carolyn Leaf like broke it down much better than I ever could, God sees the end or the beginning from the end and he's the author and finisher so he sees the full deal and he's loving me forward from this place to that place and he knows where he wants me to be but he's given me this free gift of free will which means on this trail I can choose to get off or get back on or sit down or back up or refuse to grow or he, I can agree with him and start listening to him and live in full view of him and ask him the decisions I'm making with habits or whatever. Is it thumbs down or thumbs up? And as I do that, I'm going to progress in my growth in him. 
and I'm going to see a fruitfulness. And, you know, sometimes people think, and I used to, this idea of practicing righteousness, there goes all my fun. I mean, practicing righteousness, that doesn't sound like it's a very exciting, fun life. But what I've found is like when you're in step with him and you're in the zone with him and there's a confidence with him and he's using you, there's nothing like it. It's a blast. It's a blast when, when you feel God's hand and these connections and divine connections that happen, wild things, just amazing things. And it's living in full view of him. And that's, that's the practice of righteousness. And that's that's what I think we want to grow into. Anybody in here with me on that? So th- this is what 1 John said, and there's two kinds of practices. 1 John, John writes in this letter, little children, so this is the thing about growing up. He's talking to little children, believers, dear ones, did not anyone lead you astray? The one who practices righteousness, you can tell this is the amplified, the one who strives to live a consistently honorable life in private as well as in public, And to conform to God's precepts is righteous just as he is righteous. So I've been born again. I now have the righteousness of God, but I'm walking it out. I'm trying to live it out. And so when I practice it, trying to be honorable in my public as well as private life, and I'm pursuing that, that's the idea of, you know, this thing of practicing righteousness. The one who practices sin, separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience and indifference or rebellion is of the devil. It's pretty clear, huh? And takes his inner character, ouch, and moral values from him, not from God. For the devil sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. Read the yellow with me. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. That's God's plan. He doesn't want you living that way. He wants you free, practicing righteousness, growing towards him, growing towards plan, growing towards his destiny for you. And as we do that, man, the rewards are awesome. So practicing righteousness, say intentional decisions. Carolyn Leaf reinforced this. Intentional decisions that we make, it begins to build real estate in our brain. So intentional decisions that I'm making, just simple things. I'm gonna practice kindness to strangers. I'm going to practice holding my words before I speak. I, I, I got to practice this. It, it, it's amazing to me how I can come out of the presence of God and get blasted with negative thoughts sometimes. It just amazes. I know it doesn't happen to anybody else, but it, it, it's amazing even going home from church sometimes how I can jump from all the people that are here to the couple people that weren't here and what's going on here or there. And I got to practice managing those negative thoughts. How about you? I, I got to practice delaying quick judgments with my tongue. I, I got to practice just sometimes how quick, you know, you can say about this person or that person, that political issue going on. I, I got to practice holding my words because my words have power and your words have power. Amen. And your words can create or your words can discourage. Your words, my words can undermine or they can build up. I, I got to practice a good work ethic on the job. Nobody said amen. I, 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 I got to practice a good work ethic on the job because I'm a believer. And if I practice those things, it will lead to good things. It'll lead to promotion if I practice that. I got to practice restraint on my keyboard, on my computer. How about you? I got to practice that stuff. I got to thumbs up, thumbs down, friend or foe. Do we go there? Do we not go there? Friend or foe? Got to make decisions. I got to practice growing in my generosity. I got to practice those things. How about you?